from APM. This is the American Radio Works podcast. I'm Stephen Smith. After terrorist violence like the recent attacks in Paris by the group calling itself ISIS, some choose to blame an entire religion, a culture, or a nation for the crimes of a few extremists. It happened in the wake of September 11th when mosques were vandalized in Florida, New Jersey, California, and five other states. And after the Paris attacks, many U.S. governors and other politicians said they would resist accepting refugees from Syria because they feared extremists would cloak themselves within the Syrian refugee population. I am now requesting that the president and the federal government cease sending refugees from Syria to North Carolina. Look, there is no way that we can uh, put any of our people at risk by bringing people in at this point. The responsible things take a pause in this particular aspect of this refugee program in order to verify that terrorists are not trying to infiltrate the refugee population. That was Governor Pat McCrory of North Carolina, Governor John Kasich of Ohio, and U.S. House Speaker Paul Ryan. There's clearly a gulf of understanding between the Western and Arab worlds, and a group called Bridges of Understanding wants to change that by helping middle and high school students in the United States talk with their peers in the Middle East and North Africa through video conferences. The group claims that no topic is off limits. Faisal Al-Jabouri is the executive director of Bridges of Understanding. We reached him in New York City. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So your name, Bridges of Understanding, suggests that there are misunderstandings and that there are chasms. Can you tell me about what those are and why this organization was created? So this organization really at the end of the day is um, trying to dispel the myths and stereotypes. And uh, there is this common misconception that there is a monolithic Arab Muslim culture and that um, what we see and the broad strokes generalizations and stereotyping that come out from from the horrific attacks as in Paris or September 11th, that that defines the Arab Muslim populations. And we come in and uh, try and paint a more nuanced portrait of the peoples throughout the region. You say that uh, typically they sort of think of uh, people in the Middle East as a a monolithic Muslim culture. Probably they think of them as being devoutly religious. But the the real picture is, is quite a more complicated patchwork, isn't it? That is correct, yes. And, uh, and we, we try to bring that to light with curricula that really tend to highlight the, um, the diversity and breadth and depth of the Arab world and its history and its cultural legacy and what's happening here today. And when we have those programs that really pair students from the U.S. and the Arab world um, uh, and, and pair them through a series of video conferencing between their classrooms, what really comes out at the end of the day and really what's so profound is the simplicity of the aha moments that students on both sides have, that, you know, these are teenagers that are waking up every morning, going to school, wanting to do right by themselves, by their friends, by their family, you know, trying to get straight A's, trying to get into a, you know, great university, um, listening to Taylor Swift, <laughs> you know, like these are, like there are the basics that, um, that tend to be the, the global unifiers. And uh, before they go into these conversations, especially on the American side, there tends to be um, this, this scary image of the other that 
in the Arab world, these youth are for some reason not driven by the same sort of basic human traits and characteristics that uh, that drive us here in the West. And once they're put face to face and once they're learning to sort of listen and, and walk in the other shoes is when they start to realize that, you know, our similarities are really greater than our differences. So how do these um, teleconferences work? Are they groups of kids talking to groups of kids or are they more like electronic pen pals where one uh, American youth is hooked up with a youth in the Middle East? They are groups. So what we do, um, specifically in a partnership that we have with another education nonprofit uh, that specializes in video conferencing technologies, um, Global Nomads Group, um, here in New York City, what we do is we pair high schools in the United States with high schools in the Arab world. And I do want to clarify that Arab world for us is defined as those nations that are members of the League of Arab States. And what we do is we pair them through a curriculum that some choose to condense into a semester and some choose to spread out over a year where students are initially um, on the American side given a sort of a brief history contextualizing the Arab world and Arab society and um, students in the Arab world are given a brief snapshot on sort of, you know, U.S. History 101 and then they dive into a series of lesson plans um, that each culminate, four units that each culminate in a video conference session that lasts in excess of an hour between those classrooms as a whole. And some students tend to, you know, take those conversations, further them um, beyond the classroom setting um, and, and stay in touch beyond their, uh, their course of study. You know, and some are just moved within the classroom setting and are moved to then independently go on and learn more about, you know, foreign affairs and international relations and, uh, and become more more aware global citizens. My assumption is that teenagers, wherever they're based, are not paying. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think that history and and uh, current affairs are the highest on their list. But still, I would imagine that kids in the Arab world know a whole lot more about the U.S. simply based on their cultural consumption, television, movies, and the etc. Uh, and that kids in the U.S probably may not even know where the Middle East is, let alone what happens there. Is there really a kind of a, a, a wider gulf in one group than the other? There is, most certainly, and I think you hit the nail on the head. At the end of the day, you know, so many, uh, you know, so many Arab youth, uh, part of, you know, part of the way that they um, become so fluent in, um, in English and just American culture is the, the amount of media uh, that we export here from the West. <laughs> um, and so they have a broad understanding based upon, you know, sort of film and television culture that has been exported and accepted throughout the Arab world. You definitely don't have that here in in the States, what you get more than anything is just what's seen in the news. And that's why we've also developed a new series of lesson plans with a partner based out of here in the U.S. called Next Lesson, which is an innovative online platform that students, that educators are able to go in with their students and really sort of dive into subject matters that um, are covered here in the U.S. media, but aren't given sort of proper due. So you hear all about right now in the wake of the Paris attacks about ISIS, right? And you hear about um, terrorism and you hear about the Syrian conflict and this refugee crisis. And, but all of it is spoken um, in the media without giving a strong understanding of what's actually going on on the ground and what is ISIS and what is ISIS as it relates to the Arab and Muslim world and 
how is it not representative of um, you know of the core basic cultural values and beliefs? And so we go in and we provide a series for anyone free of charge. You can go online and get a series of these lesson plans that are turnkey in nature and that an American educator can implement in their classrooms and be empowered with all of the information necessary to handle these subjects thoughtfully and tactfully within their classrooms so that they're able to expand upon with the snippets of what they're getting um, in the American news media. So you say there are no topics that are off limits. What are the hardest things to talk about for these Arab and American youth? Um, you know, I think the the hardest thing really comes into um, religion and pre- predominant misconceptions about um, religion and uh, gender subjugation within society. And I think it becomes a sensitive subject matter, but really also an eye-opening subject matter as well um, in these communications about choices that these individuals make for themselves and within um, their family and community constructs of religious identity and uh because it's deemed to be the the biggest gulf between cultures, I think it's the most sensitive subject matter to go into, but ends up becoming the most eye-opening at the end of the day as well. But yeah, what you end up having with a lot of students, especially at that age, is just a keen curiosity and a respect for an open dialogue and communication and a desire to understand. And uh, we tend not to see sort of blind, ignorant disrespect. There is, a, there is a caution paired with a curiosity, you know, and I think also a lot of that comes from the professional development that we do in advance with our educators so that um, educators know how to prep their students for, um, for these types of uh, sensitive dialogues. Your parents immigrated to the United States from Iraq, and so you uh, grew up essentially in two cultures. I'm curious about the students who are in the American side of the program who are from, you know, an Arab background and what it's like for them particularly to, I don't know, be a bridge within a bridge almost. For sure. And I think, you know, I think a lot of what ends up coming out with any of our education programs, um, both in terms of this virtual exchange or the programs that we just do solely here in the United States, is that there is a sense of pride and excitement that there is a tool right now to help them both in their own personal identity and that journey, but also in communicating to their peers, you know, who they are and their backgrounds and helping to demystify that. On a personal level for me, this would have been something that would have been extremely useful, um, you know, especially as a child uh, who grew up here in the United States around the time of the first Gulf War. You know, for me, that was a uh, That was a situation where I, you know, for lack of a better word, was traumatized because I didn't understand the nuances of what was happening. But all I knew immediately is having grown up identifying as an Iraqi American is that all of a sudden my two worlds were at war with each other and therefore my identity was at war with itself. And it would have been a huge benefit to be able to have this type of educational programming growing up to help explain to my peers my background and also explain to myself at the same time. Faisal Al-Jabouri is the executive director of Bridges of Understanding, a New York City-based nonprofit that connects middle and high school students in the Middle East and North Africa with students in the United States through video conferences. Thanks so much. Thank you.
You can find a link to Bridges of Understanding at our website, AmericanRadioWorks.org. There you'll find more podcasts about issues in K-12 and higher education, and you can browse the archive of more than 100 documentary projects. We'd also like you to let us know what you think of our coverage. We'd love to hear what this podcast actually made you think about and whether or not you'll share it with friends or colleagues. Did it change your ideas about bridging the gap between the U.S. and the Arab world in the classroom? Let us know, AmericanRadioWorks.org. We're on Facebook at American.RadioWorks. We're on Twitter at AMRadioWorks. Support for American Radio Works comes from the Spencer Foundation, Lumina Foundation, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM.